Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers, also providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today, you'll never believe it, she used to be a, a cop. And then one day she found herself as a single mom with three kids and no marketable skills. So scratching her head, not knowing what to do, she decided, you know what, I'm going to become an Amazon seller. Do my own thing, take care of the kids, make my own time. And, uh, but then she came to another realization that, you know, uh, you know, instead of building my own seller account, I've learned enough. I want to make an impact and then help other sellers. I get more kick out of it. So this is the typical public service spirit. You know, we never discuss, but, you know, one doesn't become a cop, like they want to become a, something else so it's a different thing drives people so so today she's an expert in using flat files and resolving problems before they turn into suspensions deactivations and in other words proactively she manages these situations that yeah, usually would need reinstatement practically by using flat files so that's what she does. And uh, when she's not working, she likes nonfiction and romance. So there's enough drama in her life. So with that, everybody, meet my guest, Alexandra Wolf. Welcome to the show, Alexandra. Thank you for having me. You know, I always admire people who have the public service spirit in their approach. And that's how you're doing it. And that usually leads to success because... You are already getting paid when you help somebody, right? doesn't matter whether they write you a check or not. So yeah, that's the kind of driver. So we're going to talk about what you know best about flat files. So, of course, what you are doing is all white hat practices, all 100% TOS compliant. So let's get into this. So first, tell us about what a flat file is and where to get it, how to find it. Because a lot of sellers just go to Seller Central, create a listing, search, and then if it's a new one without a UPC, create their own and just click, 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 and then enter the information. They don't really use the flat files unless they're familiar with it. So tell us uh, what it is and where you find it. Right. So, you know, it's it's one of those things with Amazon that's um, very much mystery, but definitely not a secret. So, and uh, Amazon has what are called inventory file templates. And these are, you know, ways basically to get into the back end of Amazon in a condoned way. Um, like you said, it's all white hat. And a lot of times they tell you to do it themselves. Um, they can also walk you through it. So like I said, it's not a, it's not a secret. Um, it's a very, very underutilized tool for Amazon sellers, and they definitely need to know how to use it and to use it 
<laughs> so the two ways that you can find it is one is you can download a category listings report. Unfortunately, that is not activated in everyone's account automatically. It used to be, but it is not now. You actually have to go to seller performance and request that they activate that for you. And basically what you do is you, you know, um, put in the date for before your very first uh, product that you've uploaded. And that way you can get basically a, a record of every product you've uploaded, the SKUs, the ASINs, so on and so forth. I actually highly recommend that sellers do that right off the bat um, so that they have a record of that. It can be very useful later, especially if you don't remember the exact SKU that you used from one time to the other. Um, so going back to that, the second way that you can do it is um, there, it's called a category specific file. So if you happen to sell in the grocery department, let's say you have baby food, then you will download a template that is specifically for category grocery, um, baby food niche. And that way you have a template that is very specific to your particular product. So that's two ways that you can do it. And um, I, one thing I didn't mention is that they're just Excel uh, spreadsheets. So they're a little bit more complicated than a regular Excel spreadsheet because Amazon has all of their restrictions and requirements. Um, it can get a little complicated, but basically if you become familiar with it, you're good to go. Yeah. So you want to hear how I find it? <laughs> so what happens is, so when I'm working with a client, I first, you know, you do your competitive research, you look at your ASINs that you're going to target or or you want to be like when you grow up, so to speak, you know, which listings are the ones that you want to be like. So when you go to those listings, I tell them scroll all the way down or just do a, a search on that page using control F, just search the keyword ASIN. That usually appears if you have one of those browser plugins, then it will appear more. But ordinarily, it appears no more than twice on a standard page. And it will take you right down to like the middle of the page where you see the best sellers rank and the ASIN and the product dimensions and, and all that stuff. It's all together in one place. And then I tell them, not the best seller rank top level category, but look at the, the category, the sub, sub, sub category that the item is ranked in. That is the category that will be your home. And then what you do is you then flip over to Seller Central and you go to your add a product screen I think it's the second one in the middle where my product is not listed. And then you start to click through the same path that you copied from the competition. And because as you click one, it will open up the subcategories under it. And then you click again, open up the subcategory. So you basically replicate exactly where that top ASIN that you want to target is listed and once you get to the bottom 
it's going to show the button that says download. And you download that template, that's your template. Yeah, so let's back up and just say that it's, you know, under add a product and then add a product via upload. And under mm -hmm. that, you'll be able to um, see a number of different tabs. One will be for downloading a, a category specific template, which is exactly, you know, then you go through the path that you just talked about yeah. to find it. Now, yeah. once a, a product is actually uploaded in a certain category, it can be very difficult um, to find what that original category was and then trying to change it, you might come into errors and so on and so forth. But yeah. essentially, once you have a flat file built out with your product and with all of your, your, your managed inventory page, everything there, then what you do is you make updates, you change a few things, whatever needs to be done, and then re-upload it to Amazon and it goes directly into their catalog. Now, of course, there one thing we have to talk about are the contribution levels. So there are three contribution levels, meaning when you make an update to a listing, you have priority based on who you are. Now, Amazon retail is always number one. The brand is always number two. And then everybody else is number three. So in, even if you're brand registered, your contributions, if Amazon retail is involved, is only ever going to be second place. So that can be another, you know, that's probably down the rabbit hole a little bit of the discussion, but that is one thing that inventory file templates can help. Um, if it can't, if you can't update, get a little complicated. So let's back out <laughs> your priority. So brands have a second priority. Hopefully you have listing control. If you do not, flat files can help be a way to update your listing um, until you can get control. So. So having control means that any changes you make to a, a listing will be accepted, right? That's what control is. In general, yes. But like I said, Amazon retail is always number one. So even if you have control, if there is a contribution from Amazon retail, and, and I should define who that is, that's right. basically the vendor central side of things or anyone who has sold through vendor central, sold your products, through Vendor Central, or Amazon just jumps on the listing and they they take control. So you're always going to be second best to Amazon. Yeah. yeah, I mean this is this is so good to point out because you have Seller Central and you have Vendor Central. Vendor Central is where Amazon is the customer, and then whoever is the brand, they're selling to Amazon. And then Amazon creates the listing, and then they start selling. Now, where things get complicated is that vendor to Amazon, one day says, you know what, I'm going to sell it directly now. So now you've got a situation because the listing has already been created and there is no control. Amazon has full control over it. So how do you take? So that's one scenario, right? Right. And that's a really big one. And I know it affects a lot of sellers because you don't have that control to update the product 
um, information that you know best. Um, you have no ability to change the images, change the bullets, change the search terms, and so on and so forth. Um, so one of the things that you end up beating your head against Amazon with is that control. And typically trying to go through seller performance is very, very difficult and very frustrating and can take a very long time. So actually the, the flat files or you know the inventory file templates, which are also called um, flat files, as well as feed files, as well as just feeds, using those are like my best way of avoiding seller performance in general. If I can possibly avoid having to go through that cycle and you know seller performance representative after one after the other after the other using the flat files is by far the best way so i want to cover some misconceptions or some areas where people may not be 100% clear so we are talking about Let's leave out the vendor central migrations because, frankly, as you know, between you and I, there is no fixed solution for taking over your own listing after you're migrating from vendor central. You're going to have to put up the fight. And what I tell people is that the easiest way is discontinue that product, issue a new UPC, create a listing all by yourself, and then merge the existing one into the new one. Get That's Amazon fine. to merge it. You have control over the new one. The old one dies and the new one survives. End of story. That's what I tell people. Otherwise, if, if you can't do that, you have resellers, you can't discontinue the UPC, then you're going to have to fight the fight and just ride with it. Or you don't want to lose those reviews, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the reviews are a big deal and uh, it's, a, it's a very complicated situation. That's why... I always say, look, don't don't be a vendor to Amazon. Just what's the point? I never understand why people want to be a vendor to Amazon because Amazon will only give a PO if the item is performing. If the item is performing, why do you want why do you want to leave money on the table and sell it to Amazon, right? Right, exactly. Vendor Central yeah. is kind of, in my opinion, the dinosaur side of Amazon. So. Yeah. Yeah. Leave so, it alone. <laughs> let's talk about a more straightforward situation. A, a private label seller, they create their seller account and they register their trademark. They get on brand registry and then they create their listing, flat file, manually, either way. Mm -hmm. Okay. There comes a point, the problems with the listing. Or they, they mess up while creating. And of course, there's always a rush to send inventory. So usually people create the listing and then turn it into FBA, send the shipment. So misconception number one, can I change my SKU? I created the wrong SKU. So tell us what happens if somebody wants to change their SKU. Oh, you can change the SKU to anything, anytime, any any time of the day. Yeah. Amazon doesn't care what the SKU is. Um, you might as a business, because hopefully you have a, a good SKU naming convention, but ultimately Amazon couldn't care less. 
what you cannot change and don't want to change because uh, reviews are tied to the ASINs um, or the UPCs. Now, if you wanted to change the SKUs, you can. You have to be careful about how you uh, upload a new SKU, though, because it depends. It can make it either manufacturer barcode, meaning you can scan it in with the UPC, or it becomes an FNSKU and it's required to be stickered. So, you know, flat files are, are good for things like that, um, for just very quickly copying the same data. Then you change the SKU and voila. Okay, so just so that we have no confusion, you have XYZ123 as your SKU. And you submitted that SKU with the UPC, first time you're creating it. Let's assume that you did it the right way by using flat file. So you put the SKU, your brand name, your manufacturer, and the UPC as the identifier, and bang, ASIN got created. So now XYZ123 is ASIN B, whatever, and then listing is there. Quickly turn it into FBA, and you sent in 100 pieces. Oh. It's on its way. Okay? So now suddenly somebody like me comes along and says, what is this XYZ123? Are you not going to have like a parent, child? And Oh, yeah, we want to do that. Okay, well, the right way to do things is you create a SKU for the parent, and then you create codes for the child SKU so that you can tell that these are all the family of products. So this SKU is no good. So that SKU has to change for XYZ123. It has to turn into something a little bit more meaningful as a SKU. We cannot go into Seller Central or take the flat file and change that SKU, right? That's not possible. No. Um, if you have inventory at FBA, you cannot. So that whatever inventory you send to FBA is coordinated with that SKU. So you don't want to change it. However, you can create a new condition with a different SKU. And then once you sell out of that inventory, send in the next inventory under the correct, you know, the new SKU. You can do that. So I don't remember if I've done this before, but let's assume that you delete the SKU. You delete the listing because, you know, they, they, they have, you can close a listing or you can delete a listing. What happens if you delete a listing once there is an FBA shipment going? You'll have stranded inventory. So you will have stranded inventory. Right. Now, what if you then create a different listing, but this time you put the ASIN as the identifier? You can do that, yes. Now, that's what causes it to be an FNSKU SKU. So you can't send it in with manufacturer barcode. You have to send it in with a with a sticker, Amazon's so, barcode. So the original one 
is the only one that you can use if you don't want to put an FBA sticker on it. Yes, it has to be with the UPC or the G10 or the, you know, whatnot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, now, so this is a big deal then because people have to be careful creating SKUs, right? To a certain extent, yes. I mean, you wouldn't normally create a SKU without you know, a UPC or at least a, a G10 or an exemption. No, no, I mean carelessly giving a SKU and then thinking that they can change. That's not really possible. If you create a, a listing and then you later convert to FBA with your UPC, then that's it. That SKU will be associated with it, right? Yes. So if you wanted to switch between manufacturer barcode and Amazon's barcode, you have to create a new SKU. Yeah. 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 Okay. Now, one of the places where, where using a flat file is really, really valuable is let's say you have a blocked ASIN and it's gotten suspended um, for using, you know, typically a trigger word, antibacterial, mold, you name it. Um, high quality has been a recent one now, which <laughs> kind of surprised me. Um, if you use keywords like that and it gets triggered in Amazon's algorithm and picked up, they'll block the ASIN. A lot of times, if you remove the, the keyword, whatever the trigger word was, it will automatically reactivate it. However, a lot of times you can't get back into the listing because they've blocked you from it manually. So in the manual backend, you cannot get into the listing. Flat files are here to help. <laughs> so that's where you can change the information. And a lot of times it will reactivate it as long as that trigger word is gone and you've uploaded it, it'll reactivate it. Now, if it doesn't, then you can contact seller performance and add that batch ID of the upload in with your appeal and say, we've updated it, we've fixed it, please reactivate it. That's the kind of stuff that flat files are really, really valuable for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you. this is so accurate. I cannot say enough. These flat files are lifesaver to do the things that you are not able to do through the interface. There is one thing that I want to add. I think um, that this is also important. So let's assume that you've created a listing and you didn't know. It's impossible to know everything. And you put a keyword in it, which got picked up by the algorithm and the detail page removed. ASIN is not allowed. And then you realize it. it says, oh my God, I put this, this word, take out the word. So take out the word, submit the feed again. Does it work? Usually. How much time do you have to wait before you submit it? Oh, probably about 15 minutes. So my experience is this. If I have a situation, a listing has been suspended. First, I delete it. Okay. Wait 36 hours so that everything gets flushed out. And then submit it with the correct information. And then at that point, 
if it doesn't correct itself, then you can take that batch ID and submit it to seller support and ask them to fix it. Uh, but those repetitive submissions without giving the system enough time to kind of flush out the old stuff sometimes prove to be problematic. Okay, Is that your experience? Yeah, a lot of times you do need to wait at least 24 hours, typically overnight, for the catalog to clear before it actually, yeah, does update. Um, yeah. And sometimes you do have to delete it. Typically, if it's like a blocked ASIN or some kind of issue like that, I'm really careful not to delete it because I'm concerned that I wouldn't be able to re-upload it. And Amazon would say, no, no, you can't, you can't re-upload this, this product. And then you get in the vicious cycle with seller performance of, hey, we can't upload this product. And they're like, well, we can't do anything about it because it's not there. So what do you do then? Um, so typically, yeah, I mean, it depends on the case, of course, but. Um, so another issue with the with listings where the flat files may be useful is changing the brand, right? It can be, yeah, but you can get error messages in the template as well saying that, you know, it's, you're not the brand, um, you can't, you're not approved for this or, or whatnot, but, um, you know, it can be, it can be definitely useful for that. It can be really useful for parent-child variations Yes. Uh, if you're trying to either fix them, meaning uh, let's say that the, the name on the product page or the way that you want to list it on the product page is kind of not the way that you want it. Let's say it says um, 1.7 ounces instead of two pack or something like that. That's a really good way with a flat file to fix those issues with parent and children um, as well as creating them. I have a question for my listeners. Are you experiencing cash flow challenges with your Amazon business? Well, silly question. Who is not, right? So let me introduce you to Viably, a unique solution tailored for Amazon sellers and e-commerce enterprises. By connecting your Seller Central or Shopify account, you can promptly access funding along with a variety of financial tools, all for a flat fee. It's as simple as that. And for my listeners, they are offering an extra $1,500 in funding for eligible applications. Start your quick and easy application today at runviably.com forward slash legends. And that's runviably.com forward slash legends. Do you ever see those messages that you submit information for an ASIN uh, with the flat file? And then it throws up an error. And then when you look at the error, it says uh, the information we have on file for this ASIN does not match the information submitted and blah, blah. So, and, and you never understand what that is. So how do you deal with situations like that? Sometimes if you change the data back to what Amazon has it as, and then upload that as a full update, you can get the product listed. And then at that point, you can change the data. I see. So in other words, first give them what they already have. 
And is this for a, a suppressed listing or is this for any listing? Could be for any listing. Any listing. So yeah. just give them what they want so that it can normalize and then change. Right. And then once you do that, then you can do a full update and change the information. But other times you do need, still need to go through seller performance and say, I, you know, I have no ability to change this, but it needs to be changed. And when you say full update, tell us what that means so that people know. Oh, sure. Sorry. So um, three of the options that you have is one, either delete or to do a partial update, which means that you're not changing everything. You're only changing some things. And then the other one is a full update, which if you're not careful about, you can do a full update. And that says whatever was in the catalog, now change it all to this whatever you uploaded. So you want to make sure that if you do a full update, that you have everything in there that you want. So all your bullets are the right bullets, the description, the title, so on and so forth. Yeah. Especially yeah, if you've deleted it and then you've done a full update. Well, I mean, I tell you the easiest mistake to make. So you have your flat file and they said, oh, you better change the title because you're not getting enough traction, put this keyword in the title, and then you take the flat file and you put the ASIN as the identifier, and then you put the title in and upload it. Everything else is blank. And you don't select partial update because the default choice there, that you don't have to select anything at all, is blank. And if it's blank, it means full update, right? Yeah. Now, one thing is once something is in the catalog, it doesn't change. And it's nearly impossible to remove data from certain fields um, or basically any field. You have to you have to add something else to it in order to change it. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can't words, actually remove data. Yeah. It doesn't overwrite something in, let's say, description field with blank because the new file is blank. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so whatever was in the catalog before will remain there. Um, if you have a field that you wanna get rid of, let's say uh, you have a, a metal product and it says plastic, and you don't want that field to say anything, there's no way to remove it. The only thing you can do is change it to metal or change it to something else um, to replace that data. So I have a complicated question. I don't know if anybody tries to do it, but I'm sure this happens from time to time. Let's say that you created a variation theme of, I don't know, uh, color and size. And you want to switch it to size and color. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? You change it in flat file. So, However... You can try changing it with the, the current parent, but it might be that you need to create a different parent. And so you have to delete the parent, remove all the children, create a new parent, wait 24 hours, and then re-upload the children to that new parent with the, with the new uh, variation thing. So this brings us to another interesting situation that we talked about once but ended up not doing it 
but we have several several being like maybe five six different child asins under a parent according to a variation theme of i think it was at the time it was uh, color and size and every single one of those variations had a good number of reviews so what we wanted to do was create another listing brand new as a kit not as a single item as a as a kit and then create a parent and then bring one of those established listings under it as a single so now you have a single and you have a kit under this parent but of course the variation theme would be totally different so tell us about how to handle this uh, well, it's very hard to remove one child from the from the parent variation. So you pretty much have to delete that child and then wait 24 hours and then see if you can attach it to the new parent. But, you know, these are all very complicated issues and it depends, again, on your contribution level. You might think that you have control over all 10 of your child ASINs, and it turns out that seven of them, um, Amazon retail had a, had a hand in. <laughs> so that can get really complicated fast too. And it does take a lot of time, but typically I use the flat files to avoid the whole seller performance fiasco. That <laughs> is just kind of a frustrating process. Um, and if I can't, then, you know, I've done everything I could and now I involve seller performance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, seller performance or seller support? So, well, it's one or the other. They kind of change their name and call themselves seller performance now. But yeah, yeah. seller support, seller central. There is one other uh, approach, which is to go to the brand registry support. Mm -hmm. When do you know which one is the best one to, to go to? Typically, I, as a consultant or an account manager, don't have direct access to the brand registry um, account, although I can be, you know, uh, provided user permissions or a registered agent of the brand. So if you have that, you can go that way. If you don't, you still have to go through Seller Central, Seller Performance and say, until they finally recognize it as a brand registry issue and then they send it over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the things are I mean, what you mentioned right at the beginning and it comes up over and over. What is your contribution level, right? So if you are the brand owner and you know for a fact that you created this listing yourself through Seller Central and it's under your brand, then obviously that's a much, much easier situation, right? Yes. Now, one of my um, one of my projects recently was the fact that a bestseller out of a variation had never been sold on Vendor Central. It, it you know, had never been sold on the website. It never been sold anywhere except Amazon as listed by the brand owner. And yet Amazon Retail got a hand in it. I don't know how, I don't know why. 
there was really, you know, it wasn't like a high seller. So there was no reason for Amazon to get involved, but they did. And so it, it made creating a different parent-child variations that nearly impossible. It actually took months um, and involvement with Launchpad. So Launchpad very graciously helped out there and contacted Amazon Retail on our behalf. And that was the only way it got fixed. The Launchpad is a program that Amazon offers for brands who yeah. are just looking to be selling on Amazon exclusively, right? They did, and they just shut it down not too long ago. So I don't know whether they're going to revamp it, but I have a feeling they're probably getting rid of it. I had a but, guest a while ago who who was a great fan of Launchpad. It was great. It was fantastic, yeah. For a lot of small brands, it was a great program. I wonder if it's like the uh, like Vendor Central where they... You know, they purged a lot of vendors yep. because it wasn't making enough money. So maybe they also shut down Launchpad because it wasn't making much money. I think that's probably true because for a while they were charging 5% um, to new, you know, for the option of, of getting into the program. And then eventually it took a long time, but they dropped that and then very quickly shut the program. So... Otherwise, it would have been great. You know, it was great there for a while without the 5% extra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, what else? Uh, give us some more examples of things that you can handle with flat files. Uh, so, you know, back in the wild, wild west, when Amazon was pretty much open and everybody was hijacking listings and <laughs> UPCs, and then if you had a discontinued product, uh, somebody else would jump on and use all of the reviews for that. Uh, sometimes that can be, uh, the flat file can be used to kind of gain control of that back. Um, but basically unethical sellers can also use this technique uh, it's a lot harder now because of brand registry and, you know, the fact that in the file itself, you it, it's a default brand of whatever that, that product is. But, you know, there are ways around everything. So, yeah. you know, there's something also I want to mention. It's come across a few times when I was working with flat files. First of all, especially when you're creating a listing or even when you're making a change. First time you upload it, don't think that it's going to go through without any errors, right? So be prepared to always try several times because it's never smooth sailing when you are okay. using these feeds, right? So that's psychologically. And and I've been working on the Amazon, you know, different Amazon accounts for 20 years now. And every time I submit a flat file and, and it comes back without error, I'm like excited. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so that, that's how you have to feel. So, Well, and part of that, if, if you don't mind me interrupting, part of that is too that Amazon changes those, they uh, update those templates constantly. Right. And it could be, that's why if you have a flat file that you've created, you can't necessarily reuse that again even a week later, even a few days later, because you don't know when they've updated it. 
Um, but typically that's where you get the errors and you realize, oh shoot, I have to go get a new template and start all over again. Yeah, exactly. So two things that I noticed. First of all, when you submit your, your feed, it and the way it processes now is different than how it used to be. Uh, so now it's kind of, it starts spinning while it's processing. Before it used to just give you the batch ID and then you would wait and then it would show up. So now it comes back and it says download processing uh, errors or whatever, uh, or if it's 100%, say you submitted seven out of seven, green check mark, off you go. So it's going to be a while before you see green check mark. So you have a file there. So you download the file and you open that. So it has multiple tabs and the tab that you want is the feed processing summary, right? Yes. So you look at feed processing summary and it gives you a list of which columns have problems. And then it says column AJ. And then whatever that is, price, whatever, offer. Uh, and then you open your feed and you look at AJ. AJ has the something different, right? Yes, exactly. So tell, tell us why that is and how to deal with it. You know, it's it's a good question. You basically have to look for the title of the column. And, you know, if you're if you're familiar with flat files, you kind of get an idea as to where everything is in it. Um, they are color-coded for certain sections but in general yes you have to just kind of do a little research and sometimes um you won't notice but uh lately the the templates you can't see it but you have to expand the columns like there are two different ways there's the um i don't even know what it's called it's one or two up in the top left and one is just the basic information and everything else is hidden. And if you click two, then it expands all the, the columns out so that you can see most of them. However, one thing you don't realize is you still have to take some of the columns and expand them to find all of the other hidden areas. So if you get an error report and it says this error and you go back to your own file and you try and find it and it's not there, it's probably in one of those columns where they've they've hidden it and you have to expand it it's manually it's infuriating <laughs> well you know what i discovered this is what i discovered so take that example of an error came back and said column aj and then you open your feed column aj is something totally different but if in that feed processing summary file, you're looking at the file that you downloaded, the tab that's called feed processing summary that says AJ, there are other tabs. And one of them is the template tab. If you go to the template tab and look at what column AJ is, that is the correct column. So what they are doing is they are taking your feed and giving you back what you submitted in the template tab, but with totally different column uh, numbers. 
And then they refer to the new renamed column number or cell reference, I should say, as the problem. So don't look at your original feed. Look at the template inside that uh, file that you download once the processing is completed. Then you can say, oh, this is the column they're talking about. Then you can go to your original and fix the stuff. And by the way, in that feed processing summary, you go to the template part, it also shows you where the error is. Yes. Right? Yeah. So I just discovered this by coincidence because I never look at the template tab. I know, I know, I have the template. I know the template. What's the error? Just tell me the error. I'll go fix it. Well, That's good true. luck finding it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and in that processing report too, they take the first one or two columns and they, you know, that's where the errors are and the success, which kind of pushes all of the other columns right. to the, right. yeah. Another thing that I, I discovered that I um, want to sh uh, share with my listeners and then you tell me what you think is never be discouraged or take seriously how many errors there are in your submission, right? So yeah. tell us tell us why. Well, because number one, you can always fix them. And second of all, they tell you what they are. Um, sometimes it can be a little bit difficult because the template is asking for information that's irrelevant to your product, but that can be difficult because you don't want to enter information and never be able to delete it again. Um, but you know, in order to get, to get through it, you need to add something, but sometimes they're just warnings too. Now, what were you thinking with the, well, with the errors? What I'm thinking is this, you're right. There are two types. One is errors. The other is warnings. Warnings doesn't matter. Your listing will go through with warnings. It's not that important. But errors you have to fix. Without fixing, there's no, you're not playing. So um, what I discovered is this. Let's say that they throw up eight errors. The core error may be error number two, which may be causing error number three, four, and five. Good point, yep. That's what I was getting at. Yes, you're right. Right? Yeah. I mean, I studied computer science. I'm a computer person. And and frankly, in my old days, that's the reason why I get upset with errors is, believe it or not, when I started programming, we used punch cards. There was no, there was no computer, no nothing. So we would, you would write the program on a piece of paper and then go punch cards. And then you would take that deck of cards and then hand it over to the computer department. And then they would then come back, process it, and then give you a printout with taped together with the, with the deck of cards. <laughs> and we would open the output, you know, look at the result. Of course, we're looking to see no errors, no nothing, and there would always be errors. That meant that, first of all, we have to go punch new cards and then submit again and come back and back and forth. That's why I don't like errors. <laughs> so I have this 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 thing. Uh, but these days, it doesn't matter. You submit again. So uh, I'm always interested. So at the beginning, I used to get really upset. Eight errors, nine errors, 12 errors. 
And then I learned, and you know, this is because one thing is causing the other, which is causing the other. So don't be discouraged by how many errors. They may be all linked, right? Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. And you can just kind of pick those errors off um, as you go and re-upload it. See, you know, it might be 10 errors and then the next time it's eight, the next time it's six. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, these things happen. And sometimes you fix one error, submit again, and there may be five errors in it, but you fix one and then submit again and it comes back completely clean. Yeah. So exactly. it's one of those things that you have to prepare yourself mentally. You know, this is, you just keep doing it, but you have to do it method methodically. One thing that I always tell all my clients is every time you submit a feed, Always save a copy. Do not make the changes on it and submit again. Always save it as V, I put V version V1, V2, V3, V4, because sometimes things don't work and you may want to revert back to the previous one. So always keep a copy. Always you're submitting a new version every time, even if it's the information is exactly the same, right? That's a very good point. One of the things that I learned um not too long ago is the processing report can actually be uploaded as well. So if you make the, yeah, believe it or not, if you make the corrections on the processing report, you can upload that report. However, I don't like to do that because it's undocumented to me. So I want to make sure that I have my own template in it and I've made the changes in there to address the errors because you just never know when you're going to need it, like you said. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I like to keep everything, you know, clean in terms of being able to go back and identify this is what I did, this is when I did it, and this is what happened afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah, part so of the troubleshooting aspect of it. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to mention is you do have to be a little cautious because, like I said, this is flat files or, or like the, the back way into Amazon's catalog. And you can make things worse. So oh, yeah. you want to be a little cautious with how you do it and, and so on and so forth. If it's your first time, you want to have seller performance walk you through it um, step by step by step. And they'll do that. Uh, if you're you know a little more advanced, then, then you can kind of start being a little more cavalier about the catalog. But you know, in general, you're still messing with the catalog. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's... Uh... It, it catalog is the most complicated part of Amazon because there's so many different categories, different. And, and the other thing that catalog plays a big role in with its structure is the user experience, right? So Amazon cares about user experience and the kind the quality of the search experience, the product, you know, finding experience. These are all heavily influenced by the, the information that you provide with every listing. And not all of that is available through the interface where you can type things in manually. It's all flat files. So that can ultimately increase your sales big time, uh, but any mistake can be pretty costly. Right. Yes. One thing I did want to mention is even if you delete something with a flat file from the catalog, that information is still, even though you can't see it in your own account, that information is always in the catalog. So once in the catalog, always in the catalog. The only thing you can do at that point is change it. Yeah. 
exactly. Yeah, so it's, uh, I mean, Amazon built the system. It's very powerful. I never forget my very first experience when I launched my seller account. Uh, those days, you had to do Amazon integration. There was no systems like uh, you have today or just click here, connect to Amazon, and you're done. So that, that wasn't available. So um, you had to install something that they call the heartbeat. Yeah. And and what it did was basically it kept checking Amazon to see if there was something for you to pick up. And equally, Amazon kept checking if there was something for Amazon to pick up on your system. So they yeah. called it the heartbeat. So, uh, so what would happen, we would create these flat files and just put it into a folder on the server. And Amazon Heartbeat would immediately see that, oh, there's something here for us. And bang, the file would be gone the next minute. It would pick, oh. it would get picked up. And equally the same thing. Yeah, you know, if there was anything, your system would pick up the file and then bang, it would. So you had two, two separate subfolders, uh, inbound, outbound. So inbound would be stuff coming from Amazon to you. Outbound was stuff you wanted to send to Amazon. So in uh, from time to time, you would see in your inbound folders, you know, settlement report, this report, that report, or an inventory report you wanted to run, they would start to show up. And, uh, and equally, the updates you wanted to make, you would drop into your outbound and they would get picked up. Wow, we've come so far, right? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, it's the same thing. It's still the same thing, except that it happens through the API. You don't even see it. Yeah, it's a better and, user but, interface. Yeah, you have the cloud and everything else. So, wow. you know, this conversation, uh, Alexandra, is like the movie Jaws. Remember the movie Jaws? Yes. And then they're showing each other the scars. <laughs> So, you know, our, our examples going back and forth. So there's so many of them, you know, it's it's impossible to. I had the same analogy in another uh, uh, recording. Uh, you know, when you spend so much time in the space, you know, you get to see all different things. So, well, you get bruised. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, now we come to my favorite part of the show where we get to know you a little bit. So uh, I introduced you as a cop and then a single mother, three kids and seller, then deciding to help people. So it's it's, it's, it's the service approach. So what I want to know is where did you, where and when did you get bitten by the service bug? You know, that's a good question. I wouldn't have said that it it was, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, I grew up in a in a very small rural town called Loveland, Colorado, and it's not so little anymore, but I had a fairly idyllic childhood. Um, you know, I was able to, I was lucky enough to travel internationally with my parents and got the travel bug that way that I'm trying to pass on to my kids. But, um, you know, I, I started learning Japanese 
I took college level courses when I was still in junior high or they call it middle school now. And, um, you know, that was kind of the launch of, of just, I, this is not where I thought I was going to be. That's for sure. Um, I thought I was going to be living overseas and speaking multiple languages and, you know, be a, a digital nomad with my kids. And that just did not happen. Right. Like life happens and, and you get blindsided a lot, but um, in general, you know, I had a, a good upbringing, uh, came from a family of entrepreneurs. Um, and, you know, my father was a, an electrical engineer. My mother was a, a real estate agent. And we just, we, we had a, a good, good upbringing, I guess. And as soon as I got to college, I started learning languages. I picked up German as well. And I started to pick up Spanish and um, all at once. And I thought that was a little overwhelming. But when the teacher said, if you can't roll your R's, I'm going to fail you. I said, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out of Spanish. So I just stuck with Japanese and German. And I lived overseas in Germany for a time. And um, I became a cop. And uh, became a technical writer after that. And I worked for the government after that. And then I became a stay-at-home mom and homeschooled my kids. And when I found myself divorced, I realized I was single and had three kids under seven and no marketable skills. So I had to start all over. At that point, I took an online course for how to sell on Amazon uh, through what was called the amazing selling machine. If anyone remembers that, uh, I think it's just called amazing now, but uh, that was perfect for me. I started private labeling uh, some, uh, you know, some products and then rather quickly, probably too quickly started developing my own products and patenting those. And I had a successful Kickstarter campaign, but very quickly realized I was in the position that a lot of sellers are where you just keep throwing money into the business and you never get out. So as soon as I realized this was not going to put food on the table for me and the kids, I was out. And at that point I started asking around because now I had marketable skills and I said, where are the pain points? And the Amazon kept coming up. Everybody said, Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. So I started consulting. I haven't looked back. Yeah. There's no shortage of pain when you work with Amazon. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, you know, now, fortunately, I'm less emotionally involved in the businesses that I'm working on. So I can look at it in a rational, logical way that, you know, a lot of brand owners and sellers cannot because it's really, really difficult to deal with such an enormous bureaucratic machine as Amazon and not get frustrated, not get angry. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally hear you. It's a whole different approach when you can approach the, the problem in front of you as a, uh, as a professional academically, then the business owner who, who needs to now fix this. Otherwise there's going to be cash flow problems. So you can, it clouds your judgment, right? So you cannot really, and not to not mention the knowledge base that you need to have in order to fix it. It's always shifting, always changing. So it's uh, very important to have somebody like you in uh, in 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 your corner as a seller. So 
Uh, it's uh, I, I, I always say this. Look, in the old days, old days being, you know, very old time, long time ago, if you got sick, you would go to the doctor and the doctor would examine you and then write you a prescription and then you would be all set. Then it started to change. Today, if you have a headache, like chronic headache, you're going to go God knows how many tests, how many blood tests, how many urine tests, how many x-rays, if any, uh, CAT scan, MRI. Yeah, four different doctors will look at it. That's how it is. That's how Amazon is. Yeah. Everything has become a certain specialty. You want your ads, your listings, your optimization, pictures, videos, brand, A+. I mean, it, it, find the right kind of person. And uh, this particular area using flat files and the way you're doing it to, to kill basically two birds with one stone. Right, it's uh, it's uh, usually doesn't exist. It's either one or the other. So in your case, obviously, it's uh, both combined. So great, uh, Alexander. So tell us, how can people reach you? Your contact. Oh, that's that's a good question. Um, I'm pretty much only on LinkedIn now. I don't even have a website anymore. Um, the majority of my business comes from you know word of mouth and referrals, and I. It, it seems kind of silly to say, but I spend so much time on other people's businesses. I can't concentrate on my own. <laughs> so um, I'm just working as hard as I can to, to help people and fix these issues that are quite frankly caused by Amazon and can affect your business in a very, very negative way. So yeah, um, yeah or uh, email, I think, you know, you could probably put that somewhere, but uh, it's Alexandra at Lodestar, which is L-O-D-E, as in the North Star, uh, S-T-A-R-Consulting.com. Great. So we'll put that in the in the episode when the episode comes out so anybody can reach out. Thank you, Alexandra. Great conversation. Uh, admirable life you've led, despite against all odds, as they say. And you're doing well. I'm sure you'll continue to do well. So uh, thank you for being here. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for having me. Before I go, a quick reminder to say goodbye to your cash flow problems and claim your extra $1,500 when you qualify for $25,000 or more in funding. Go to www.runviably.com forward slash legends and start your application today. Thank you. And this brings us to the end of another episode. And I'll see you in the next. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the episode. And share it with someone you think would benefit from it too.